thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Civs, Captains and Commanders, you've tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the Guard. This is episode 159 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever and was recorded on Friday, March 10th, made available for download Tuesday, March 14th over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Ken Shadow. And I'm Jeff. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? We skipped this week's Squawk Box to bring you an interview with Luke Schneider, lead designer of the Six Degrees of Freedom space sim shooter Overload. After that, we hit the flight deck and see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover. The latest on the economy, the Hurricane Q&A Part 2 for Star Citizen, details of the PS4 release, and somewhat worrying trailer about humanity's future from Elite Dangerous and the latest update to No Man's Sky 1.2, a.k.a. the Pathfinder update. Next, we debate turrets and multi-crew ships, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and check in with the latest from Overload. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. All right, everybody, in lieu of a uh, squawk box tonight, we're going to have an interview with Luke Schneider, lead designer on the Overload Project. Uh, it's uh, good to have you back on the show, Luke. It's great to be here. Good. So uh, so last when last we spoke, you had uh, either just begun or was almost actually almost finished your uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, so so how'd it go? Uh, we made it with two hours left, so it was a close one. That was almost exactly a year ago. So, it was on... March 11th, I think, of last year. You want to have a squeaker. You don't want to, you know, you don't want it too soon. <laughs> you don't want it too late. You want it just in the nick of time. That's drama. You want that. Yeah, it's it's nice for drama, but it's not so nice for your stress levels, I got to say. <laughs> All right. Well, so one of the reasons we asked you back, it, it's not necessarily good news or bad news. It's just news from development. So the single player development's taken a little bit longer than you expected. So you've taken the challenge mode from the teaser demo and turned it into a full-fledged new game mode. So is that what's going to be coming up on this new early release that we're anticipating soon? Yeah, the, the early release is coming out next Monday on Steam, and it'll be early access through Steam, and we're talking to good old games as well. And we're even going to be talking to Microsoft about hopefully getting it onto their game preview system. But the, the single-player is actually going quite well. Mm-hmm. It's just challenge mode attracted so much attention and we end up playing it so much just like to test and like play the game that we thought we should expand it into something a little bit more than what we originally planned and as we were doing that we're like well we need to take a little bit more time to do it and because it's a mode that doesn't quite fit the mold of any other game that's out there we kind of need player feedback and like a lot of iteration on the mode and that's why we're really focusing on challenge mode and uh, early access. Describe for us why challenge mode doesn't fit the mold. Tell, tell us why it's, it's weird. So it's kind of like, uh, what is that, horde mode in Gears of War. Except okay. you're playing by yourself and there's a lot more randomization. So it kind of makes this horde mode with like Spelunky, for instance, where you have like random enemies and random uh, weapons that you start with. And some of the events, like well, all the events are pretty much randomized, like when new robots spawn and where they'll spawn and there's lots of stuff going on like it we try to keep it fair like it's fairly balanced but there's a lot of interesting unique stuff that's going on throughout it and you're just trying to get a high score and we have a couple different mode variants and lots of levels and it's just a mode that you want to play over and over again we have like the score matrix that sort of shows you your best scores in each difficulty in each mode and it just sort of motivates you to keep playing and we have online leaderboards so we're just trying to figure out like which of these things needs needs to be accented and which one is important to really draw the player through to keep playing this mode. Because it's really fun to play over and over and really develop your skills without having the uh, the pressure of having to beat other players directly. It's like you're beating the robots, but you're also competing against other players indirectly through your scores. And even competing against yourself. Are the, are the scores just private or 
do you have any kind of online leaderboards? Oh yeah, it's online leaderboards. We have lots cool. of leaderboards for each each level. There are also uh, different difficulty levels. So when you're just starting, there's if you haven't played a game like this before, or you're just starting video games, you know you want to start on trainee, which is the easiest uh, difficulty level. But it doesn't have its own scoreboard because you don't really want to see other people who are playing this level. You just want to improve so that you can get 100 kills on a level, and then you can move up to rookie, which is where the leaderboards start and then it goes all the way up to insane so there's four leaderboards for each mode and level and uh it gets pretty crazy when you get past hot shot like the difficulty of the game but for the hardcore players they really love uh how the ai reacts and how it's been uh playing so far so how would you rate the i don't know the the finish of this early access mode is it stable and polished is it stable and unpolished is it unstable and oh dear god just don't look too closely uh, how would you kind of describe it well I, I actually think it's pretty stable and pretty polished um we're not gonna sweat like tiny little bugs once in a while but we've been doing a lot of fixes for we've had a lot of weird startup bugs where like well we just added support for the vive and for some reason for some people the Vive support made the game not start correctly, but they could still select the menus if they guessed what they were. So there's just been some weird um, startup bugs that we've been fixing before we even get into early access. So I actually think it's pretty polished, like in terms of overall, like the, the weapons, the sound effects, the UI, that stuff has been fairly polished so far. I mean, we're going to continue to iterate on it through early access, but it's just the amount of content is a little limited. That's probably where you're not seeing the full extent of the game. And in early access, we're actually not going to reveal over two-thirds of the single-player game. That won't actually be out until the full release. But we will reveal almost all of the challenge mode content through early access. So in our internal discussions that we have here, we typically, even though it may not be right, we typically call something that's feature complete but not content complete, we call that kind of alpha. You know, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, but all, all the buttons work, but maybe you don't have all the mazes in. So you're, you're yeah. kind of at that place right now. You've got all the different weapon types and all the different ship types, but you don't have all the environments and maybe not all the bad guys are done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there are a few weapons left to do. And, uh, I'd say like a third to a third or so of the robots left to do, but it's more levels and just like finishing out the textures and the little, uh, elements that go into the levels. But, like, we actually have five single-player levels that you can play all the way through. They're just not available in early access yet because we have... They, they take more polish and more uh, iteration to really make them stand out. When do you expect those to be available? In our first update, which will probably be two to three weeks from now, we expect to release the first single-player level, which will actually be level three in the game. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be doing up to five of the single-player levels up and through September. And then there'll be, right now there's four challenge mode levels and we expect about 10 of those before we launch the game. How, how has the Overload community responded to the single player delay and the early access announcement? It's actually been a lot more positive than we expected. We thought people would be upset because we're going into early access um, and there's like beta backers, like there's a lot of them and they paid $90 to have beta access and we've provided lots of builds to them. and. Uh, They've gotten three different demos, but they're supposed to get the game early, but almost there's like one or two people who are upset. And even those people who are upset, they're like, oh, yeah, I still love the game. I still want you guys to do well. I just think they're just worried that early access will divert us from the main point of the game, which is single player for a lot of people. Uh, that's why a lot of people right. really seem to back us is the single player stuff. But the response to challenge mode has been really good, especially the changes we did recently where we uh, added more replayability to everything. Um, because up until the November demo, which we put out to our beta backers, um, you could predict where everything would be. It was Everything was statically placed. Um, the robot list was always the same. The progression of the robots is always the same. So people have been very happy with that stuff. So, And then we also put out a free demo. We did that during the Kickstarter last year, and we just updated it like significantly. And the response to that has been really good as well. So... I think because people are happy with how the progress is going, the response has been much better than we expected in terms of like negativity about going to early access, even though we never originally planned for it. So uh, will this demo uh, actually persist or be updated after the early access is released? 
Uh, we may update it one more time around the release, but that'll probably be after the final release because I think we'll just be focusing so hard on getting all the content done that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it's already it's almost good enough to just be the final demo on its own right now. Um, it just doesn't have multiplayer, and multiplayer is not coming until six to eight months after launch anyway. It'll be a free expansion that's added later. Speaking of multiplayer, what do you think is your your first iteration of multiplayer? Do you actually envision competitive multiplayer being what you focus on, or oh yeah, yeah, like that's definitely co-op? that. Competitive multiplayer for sure. Um, competitive, like just uh, anything from one on one anarchy. Like anarchy is what the the Senate called deathmatch, but so mm-hmm. you know deathmatch and team deathmatch will be the priority up front and. That'll be the main focus. We'll have a few other modes, but we're not anticipating like a huge player base, so you don't want to have too many modes that split the player base. And I think people, they, like people, still play Descent One as a multiplayer game because they're that hardcore into it. So we just want to provide, you know, something that kind of replaces that in a in a way. Do you expect um, a uh, multiplayer challenge mode? Uh, it would be awesome if we could do that. That's probably the first thing we would try to do if things go well. Like if nobody buys the game, we're still going to do our multiplayer stuff and put it out. But if, you know, it's not selling well, then obviously we probably won't continue to work on the game. But if it does go well, I think a challenge mode co-op would be the next thing after that. But mm. we can't make any promises on that. But that's something we've all talked about. And we think it would be easier to do that than... Uh, co-op for the main campaign because there's just more uh, specific scripting stuff and like sequencing of the levels and there's just a lot of issues to work out uh, in single player whereas challenge mode is much more straightforward it's just robots going after players and trying to blow them up and um, yeah it would be really fun to do that but it's that's pretty far off at the moment what results are you hoping to get from the release from the release of early access yeah yeah Okay, so the main goal is really to figure out how to make challenge mode the best it can be. Um, and also, like, there's some elements in single player, like we're going to have an upgrade screen that you'll see in between the, the single player levels. And that'll be in, like, the third, the second or third update. Probably the third one, because we'll actually have two single player levels by the third one. And so, like, you'll collect upgrade points in the levels, but right now you can't actually do anything with them. And we're going to put in the screens to actually let you do something. So we want to iterate on that stuff. But the the main focus of Early Access is to uh, just have lots of people play challenge mode, get their feedback, ask questions about what they think we should, uh, how we should, you know, change the flow and the just like presenting the. There's lots of information. Like there's lots of scores that you have. We could do uh, daily challenges, like where we set up unique things every day. We could have daily leaderboards, like. We just want to make it so people want to play the game a lot. And we that's what Early Access is really about, is how to get people interested in continuing to play the game, even though it's just a single-player sort of challenge mode. It's kind of like how Spelunky, like people will just play that all the time and stream it. Like We want to get challenge mode to the point where people just want to keep playing it over and over again. So you're trying to make video game crack. Essentially. like We, we just okay. want to make the game, the game really fun and... Uh, not necessarily addictive, but just like you just want to keep playing, you want to get better. Like lately, I've been I switched back and forth between gamepad and joystick and keyboard, and I just switched back to joystick and keyboard again because um, I wanted to start to compete with some of the better players. Because gamepad's just a little bit harder to move in every dimension and fire missiles and weapons at the same time. So I switched back and I've just started to get a little bit more competitive. And today I like had my first moment where my brain started to click where I could actually move faster and uh, keep out of the way of our robots who now have leading code where they will shoot where they think you're going towards, especially on the higher difficulty levels. So you have to, you can't just move in one dimension when you're dodging, you have to move in two or three dimensions. So I like my brain is finally clicking again where I can move fast enough and think fast enough to do that and it's just like it's it's not an experience you get in any other game like doom that had that has that sort of fast combat and satisfying action and you're like killing stuff but it's just moving in a third dimension adds this whole other level that's just not really present in other games so you're trying to make video game crack and that crack is going to you know the be the prototype for terminators okay good just just <laughs> want to make sure well it'll be the prototype for people flying through 
mines and blowing up stuff really fast. So the, the Terminator drones. Yeah, the Terminator yeah. drones. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You te- you're teaching, you're teaching them how to lead the targets and stuff. That sounds scary. Robot apocalypse is on its way. So speaking about what you're trying to learn out of early access, is there any uh, lessons or issues you've seen other games in early access run into that you're really hoping to avoid? Um, let me see. Like we have studied some other games in early access, and I think having something people want to play over and over again is really important. I think if we just had our single player stuff, we would have to have a lot more uh, framework around it. So you would want to play the levels and have like a grade or something where you'd get like a, a good score. You'd have like a time challenge. You have to build something that people will want to play over and over again to really get value out of early access because you're basically asking them to be testers and to play your game a lot and to give you feedback and find bugs. And that's just a lot to ask of someone if they're seeing the same content over and over again. There has to be something different about it every time they play. And letting them create some of the content is also something that really helps build an early access community is letting the players kind of generate some of that stuff. And that's something we've talked about with um, if we get to the point where we can do the daily challenges, if that's something people really latch on to, we're going to let you build your own custom mode and then let people submit their ideas for what the custom mode should be and we'll play them and pick the best ones and then make those the daily challenges or the, it might be a weekly challenge, something like well, that. What but. do you mean by a custom mode? Do you mean like an actual map or do you mean... Uh, well, it would take one of the maps that we have and they would basically choose which robots are in there. Um, we would give them more special rules that they could set, like a time limit and which weapons you start with, how frequent the robots are, what sort of special events can occur, which super robots can show up and how often they're going to show up, what upgrades the players can get and when they'll get them. So there's all sorts of little elements like that that can sort of change the progression of the game. Like right now we have two modes, which are infinite and countdown. And in infinite, you don't have a time limit and the robots slowly ramp up in like the number of robots that are there. And it sort of creates this tension where you want to stay alive, but you need to kill robots. So it's sort of like survival is more important than actually killing the robots because the longer you survive, the more robots you can kill. But we also have this mode called Countdown. And in Countdown, the robots come faster. Uh, You start with more weapons. There's not power-ups spread throughout the level. So you're not drawn through the level quite as much. And you just want to go and kill robots as fast as you can because you only have five minutes. And the difficulty ramps up really fast. So you've got this constant tension of wanting to kill things, but also not wanting to die. And it's a lot more, like your aggression is rewarded a lot more in that mode versus infinite where survival is more important. So we want to let the players sort of help push us in different directions with, uh, if you just tweak the rules a little bit, you can end up, you know, sort of creating optimal scenarios or optimal sort of situations like, Uh, One thing I want to try to explore at some point is I really like fighting like two or three robots that are really hard, but I don't want six or seven robots that are really hard. And I want to try to like have players try to create something or come up with ideas to help us optimize that or make it so we can put that in the game without it like being yet another leaderboard so that the daily challenges are one idea of how we might be able to do that. That sounds interesting, but that'll be mostly through menu options and not necessarily uh, uh, player-made scripting or anything like that, right? Right, yeah, we definitely, we'd expose a lot of the stuff through like, well, we could actually do text files as well. So it wouldn't have to be scripting necessarily. Like we'd set up all the scripting on the back end and just give a lot more options from, like we have a text file that gets read whenever you start a challenge mode level and we can definitely do something simple and uh, straightforward like that for more of the rules as well. So that's something we're definitely looking into. And if like if things go well, we want to continue to expand the challenge mode until people are like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> like I still want to work on the single player levels because we, you know, we still got 10 more levels to do and we still have these other five levels to finish and polish. Actually, I could say there's nine more levels because one of them is like on an alpha stage, it's been built, but it's not uh, gotten a polished pass. So the way that you're describing that sounds like something that would be interesting to open up to the mod community. Are you thinking about any support going forward for modding? Um, it's it's kind of a hard issue because we're using Unity as our engine, and the way you modify assets is a little bit difficult because you have to bundle everything in these asset bundles. Mm-hmm. 
So we are talking about how we can just get more data straight from text files and other sorts of data like that. So it is something we're talking about, but it that part really depends on how well the game sells and stuff like that, because modifying Unity to get more data um, from outside sources is just a little bit more work than if we were writing our own engine. But at the same sure. time, like it's got some really good benefits, like the lighting system in Unity is amazing and the art pipeline is really simple and fast and like the particle system is really easy to use and make new particles and we figured out how to optimize things pretty well, but uh, there's always room for improvement. So are you planning any other additional revenue streams after release of the game or do you plan any kind of uh, mod packs or DLC or, or anything else or... Uh... Or, or, or do you have any other other revenue streams that beyond just selling the game? Honestly, no. Like our whole revenue stream is based around selling the game. Um, like there could be publishing rights for a physical copy. That would be like I'm not really involved in those negotiations. That's uh, Matt and Mike. Uh, they do all the business stuff. Right. But, I, um, I, I only ask because it seems like every game nowadays yeah. has a more complicated revenue model than simply selling the game. And as the lead designer, the guy that designs all the weapons, we figured you'd be the guy that says, well, we do have this awesome gun for four ninety nine. No, no, like, we do have awesome <laughs> guns, but, like, you can see most of the upgrades and everything in the early access. Like, there's only one gun that you're not seeing in early access, and that's just, I think, for story reasons and kind of just because we want to hold some stuff back. If we hadn't shown the Thunderbolt already... It's the BFG. It's not the BFG, but if we hadn't shown the Thunderbolt already, that probably wouldn't be in early access, just because it's just... It's a weapon you'll get towards the end of the game. To answer the question more fully, like, our whole thing is to just make an awesome game and build up a community around it and hopefully get lots and lots of people to play it and, like, come back to Six Degrees of Freedom or experience Six Degrees of Freedom for the first time. Um, we want to get both of those audiences really. Um, there's, we've done lots of uh, play tests with the game where we have people just come in and play the game, and people who've never played a game like ours for the first time, they're able to pick it up and play it really well. Quite, I'm. We've been surprised at how well. Like, if you're moderately good at a first-person shooter, you'll be moderately good at this game within uh, like half an hour for sure. Because all you're really doing is adding the sliding up and down, and uh, our auto leveling system handles all the rotation stuff that's a little tricky for the most part so um yeah we want to get people who haven't experienced six degrees of freedom before and like people just really enjoy flying through our levels and just you know moving around in a different way that they're not used to and then we want to get people who played descent at some point or played some forsaken like we had one guy coming up at uh pax pax west last year and he said like you know because matt and mike are the creators of descent and he comes up and he stares at the the video that's playing he's like oh my god that looks just like forsaken and i was like have you ever heard of a game called descent he's like what's descent uh, and i was like okay he's totally serious well. and i was like okay well that's one way to get a new player is uh he sure. played forsaken on the nintendo 64 and he loved it and he never heard of descent <laughs> i'm like okay awesome we have a new fan well i played descent and forsaken and i was i uh, one of the questions have you thought of other game reviving other games like those the obvious no, choice is free space but after this game like we all want to take a little break and then we're if things go well like we've talked about either doing a free space like game or overload 2 and we're we haven't even really discussed that in like a year because we've been so focused on overload it's definitely a that's the other game that we would definitely look at uh trying to you know reconnect with and update for modern graphics hardware and stuff but yeah if there's other games like free space out there i'd love to play them um i was just playing sub level zero on ps4 which is a you know another six degree of freedom shooter so tacky on the fringe tacky on the fringe is that a that's a free space light game It, it came out about the same time as descent uh, it was by Nova World, or they, oh, yeah, they yeah, had, yeah. it was an. Okay, I, I know what you're talking about. Simon Carlos worked on that, didn't he? He's yeah. One of the guys at Gamma Sutra. Yeah. Yeah, he told me about that, and I went and played it at the, during the Kickstarter. That was a pretty 90s looking game, I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Well, the 90s are back, so, you know, don't, yeah. don't, let it get, don't let it get away. 
All right. Well, this is the part of the interview where we turn the microphone over to you and, and let you uh, plug away or uh, uh, cover a topic that we didn't ask you about or anything you like. I don't have anything else major to say, really. I mean, like, we're, we're just hopeful more people will try out the game and tell your friends if you like it and tell us if you don't. And we'll try to figure out how to make it the best it can be. We're really excited about working on the game. Uh, today, we're putting out our final build for... Uh, the early access and people just kept playing the game instead of actually testing the things we're supposed to be testing so we're still enjoying <laughs> playing the game after like I've been working on it for almost two and a half years and most other people over a year and a half so we still enjoy playing it and we hope other people will enjoy playing it so right. we're looking forward to early access and thanks for having me on yeah what was the date again to remind everybody uh, March 13th Right. So then, uh, as you are listening to the show, recorded on Friday, but uh, released on Tuesday, it you'll already be late. The, uh, the game will release Monday, March 13th. You'll get this downloaded on March the 14th. So head on over to Steam, pick up early access for Overload. Luke Schneider, yeah, thanks for, uh, for having coming on. And if you refuse to take to buy early access games, just wait until fall of 2017. Fall 2017. All right. Yep. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Luke. And now let's turn and see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for March 3rd, 2017. $144.9 million, up about $400,000. 1.76 million registered accounts, up about 4,000. 1.23 million ships in the UE fleet, up about 7,000. In a round of verse this week, the studio update contained a good summary of where development is going with the game's upcoming economy. Longtime backers all know that CIG's goal was to create a robust and largely realistic economy governed by the flows of goods from raw materials to purchable commodity, as well as the flow from location to location. That way, supply shortages, blockades, and change in resource levels can actually affect the prices of things in the game. While the relatively small player population, that's 10% or less of the total economic actors, will prevent player actions from having undue influence. Currently, they're working on integrating commodities in the game with generic labels like gas, ore, food, etc. These items will be bought and sold at, quote-unquote, admin offices, which simply provide interfaces for players to purchase or offload commodities. While the prices of the goods will fluctuate, in the initial pass they won't deviate much from a set range, and the adjustments will probably be set by hand. They're hoping to have most of this in place for the 2.6.2 release. Shortly after our previous show was recorded, CIG released a second Hurricane Q&A document. A lot of the answers to the questions seem to discuss issues with the overall game development rather than the craft itself. For example, people question the fact that the Hurricane is supposed to be fast, but lists only having a size 2 engine. As we quoted on this show two episodes ago, that's smaller than the S4 enjoyed by the Hornet. According to the dev, all of that information is a web of lies. The ship statistics pages apparently have not been updated to reflect the realities of the items 2.0 system. Since many of the questions and concern about the hurricane's performance stem from the data on those pages, they've admitted they need to get working on updating them. Apparently it wasn't done already because the new system requires the data to be displayed in different ways to accomplish meaningful side-by-side -side comparisons. The research badgers assigned to this say they have no idea what any of that means, but they think we may be in for another tweak on how component sizes work. The other big source of confusion and controversy is the Hurricane's turret. A lot of people took one look at it and wanted to do one of two things. Either slave it to the pilot's controls and lock it forward, or completely rip it out and replace it with bigger guns. People who want to completely rip it out are simply SOL. The comparison between the Hurricane's and the Hornet's turrets is apparently a false one, because the Hurricane's turret is manned and the Hornet's is not. No, not even the Super Hornet. The quote-unquote gunner on that ship is apparently just remote controlling a very fancy gimbal mount as far as the doves are concerned. There's no support, nor do they plan to include support for pulling manned turret mounts out of ships and replacing them with fixed weapon hardpoints. To be fair, this isn't completely hand-wavium. 
because they did build in the animations and the space for people to physically climb into the turrets, and pulling them out would play hell with the ship's internal geometry. They're going to allow the turret to be controlled and fired by the pilot when no gunner is present because they want solo play to be viable, but they warned that it probably won't make the fighter quite as useful. They reiterated that their design goal here is fairness, not total equality, with gameplay styles. Their position is that getting someone else to hop into your ship and coordinate with you in a turret is work and effort that should be rewarded. So having a turret manned by another human should provide a slight advantage over someone who's flying the ship solo and just using the turret as another set of guns. Hiring an NPC to man the turret would fall between those two extremes. You're paying in-game money to find the NPC, so it'll be a little better. But it's still NPC, so yelling at him to not get cocky after a kill won't improve his performance the way it would if you got a real guy off of a farm somewhere and then put him at the turret. Now, before any Star Citizen backers start writing emails, they didn't just leave it at that. Whether you agree with their philosophy on manned versus pilot-controlled turrets, the universally acknowledged problem with it is this. Manned turrets in Star Citizen are currently more useful when they are, in fact, unmanned. The devs freely acknowledge this and say there's a plan to improve it. They presented a long list of possible improvements they're exploring for manned turret gameplay, including sharing targeting information between turret and weapon stations, improvements to aiming stabilization, and various methods of improving turret weapons rate of fire. The full list is on the post, but the devs caution that final plans for improvement haven't been nailed down, so any or all of the ones they mentioned could be left out of the final implementation. So, discussion. You may be, you may speak. Okay. I, I think this is much a hooey and a hogwash. <laughs> a hooey and... Whoa. <laughs> Jeff, usually you reserve one or the other. You, know, you hold it back, but you're going to deploy both hooey and hogwash at this point? This, I, this is this a I family show. I think you need to apologize for that kind of language, Jeff. It's still hooey and hogwash. Look, we might need to put explicit look, label on this. I, I'll try to put this in into something more mundane. Some people like Chevrolet, Camaros. Some people like Dodge Challenger. They're both typically the same type of car. They both have high horsepower engines. They both, you know, are track ready. But they're, the features in these cars are completely different. And it'd be like me going, say, going to Dodge and going, hey, I like the headlight timer off on that Camaro. Why don't you change it for me or I'm not buying your car? I can't believe these are two different ships that behave differently. People have just got to quit trying to balance the ship for what they think that ship is going to play at. Well, to be fair, Jeff, we just had an entire very long conversation about how people thought they shouldn't be able to change the entire control system of the game to match how they felt like it should go. No. Don't go there. <laughs> but 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 to but to the point is this is a game in design in a bunch of people's minds, so in their view anything is changeable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the discussion last week and I think maybe the discussion this week, we need to start getting people's minds around the fact that that is not a thing anymore. Exactly. I mean, you know, whatever calendar you look at or whatever timeline you think we're on, we are a long way past the point where fundamental game systems can be sort of ripped out and torn away. I mean, on this show alone, we've lamented about the loss of systems and restarting things and going back to the drawing board on stuff. You know, it's ships ships have sailed at this point. So there's going to be manned turrets and there's going to be, I guess, unmanned turrets, which are fancy gimbals now. So, I mean, that's a thing. That's how things are going to work. And then the question is, how do you make gameplay fair? How do you make weapons loadouts balanced, taking into account that they've designed ships, internal geometry, ladders, elevators, elevator buttons, pedals and seats that retract and flap down to get you into a turret? I mean, there's so much stuff that's gone around into this idea that it's here to stay. The other thing that struck me from this update on ATV is the discussion about putting the commodities system in 2.6.2. I know a lot of people when it was at CitizenCon, you saw the schedule and it goes from 2.6 and then, which is basically what we have right now with Starmering, to 3.0, which has trading and piracy and now mining and a variety of other things in it. There's a lot of people that were, I would say, super optimistic about that and, and thinking, oh, they're going to drop 3.0 in January and it's going to have all this stuff in it and yada, 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 yada. And, and I think this is, again, more proof that 
those are just numbers and there's really no timeline on that. And so all of that 3.0 stuff is probably going to get dribbled in with 2.6.2, 2.6.3, 2.6.4, 2.6.5. And it's the same basic thing as we've seen with slow iterative performance on it, not this big drop like we had thought from CitizenCon. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's got to start somewhere. And that somewhere here is there are things in the universe that exist apart from your character paper doll or your ship paper doll or the station paper doll. There are commodities in transit. There are commodities in bins. There are commodities on your ship paper doll or in your personal account or on the, the station's account. I mean, but there, there's, there exists a world outside of the, of the uh, objects in the game that we have so far. Right. And that that's going to start moving and interacting with whatever automatic PC ninety percent trader thing that they've got going on. And, and you know, we'll see. We'll start yeah. seeing this slowly play off of these systems. And I think there are some people that are under still under the delusion that there's some sort of magic patch that Sig is working on that will bring everything into the game at once. And that's simply not true. You'll just see everything dribbled in, and sure, everything will be there in three but. 90% of it will probably be within in 2.6.x because that's simply the, the naming scheme that they, they locked down on. I think that we need to look at the at Star Citizen universe and what our ultimate expectations of it as we get closer and closer to 3.0. And I, I was with a shiv the other day on Saturday for our little you know live stream there and and uh, I got a spank shiv because he didn't sh- he didn't <laughs> show the second round where, when I had seven wins and he only had one. But, uh, uh-huh. but, but, uh, you know, hey, Jeff, he's the community I, manager, I okay? He has to manage outside perceptions. Uh-huh. You know, that's his I job. Uh huh. Um, but, uh, you know, we were going up against Auroras and, 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 and on these pirate challenges, and, you know, they're just, you know, these ships are all just as deadly. They're just as deadly, and it's just a matter of how you're going to want to fly. You know, it may be your favorite. I, I mean, the Gladius is one of my favorite ships, but I may not end up flying that as much as I think I might be because it flies differently than, than the Super Hornet. So uh, I don't want cookie cutter. I don't want cookie cutter in the universe. This week's Star Citizen Community Questions. Does the introduction of rudimentary commodities market have you excited? Do you agree with the devs' approach to fixing problems the hurricane has highlighted? Do you want to let us know? Well, we'd like to hear. Drop us a line through our usual channels. Details coming up. Is that the way it's normally written? That sounds odd. It does sound odd, but we'll go ahead and go with it. Ostron's not here, but we want to. I want to. You know. You know. Let's. He needs to feel ownership of the show, even when he's gone. You know. You know. He wrote this. We're, we're going to leave he his did words. Take the time to write it, and we don't feel like rewriting it. So there it is. That's basically what it is, too. That's right there. Yeah, we're lazy. That's really what it is. I, I thought my explanation sounded nicer, but laziness really is at the core. <laughs> Speaking of laziness, we didn't even really write anything on Elite Dangerous this week because it's an ever-flowing, ever-changing, minute-by-minute update for a variety of reasons. Number one, they are at PAX East, and they've done two live streams today already prior to us recording this show. Secondly, I was just able to get enough people scraped together in our little scrappy squadron to actually multi-crew a ship in the beta. So that just happened right before we recorded. So basically anything we would have written would have been outdated by the time we recorded the show. So we're just going to do like we did last week, kind of go around, give impressions, ask questions, and see what's going on. Because, as teased at the beginning of the show, they had an interesting reveal at the end of the first uh, live stream show in the form of a one-minute trailer. Gentlemen, did you watch said trailer? I did. I did not get a chance to see the trailer yet. Oh, Jeff, 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 Jeff. Jeff. This, 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 will not, this will not stand. So what we're going to do right now for you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in, in Radio Land is we are going to bring in our old standby here. So you guys listen to some smooth, some smooth sounds here. Jeff, I'm going to put the link to that video. Now, in stark contrast to the smooth sounds of Kenny G that you're listening to now, uh, the trailer's a little spooky. I mean, don't watch it alone with the lights off. And don't have the volume up too loud. Because that happens at the end. So yeah. what does that remind me of? I mean, that's a Hollywood sound. 
Uh, a number of them. I, I want to say Independence Day, but that's not it. Well, yeah, Independence Day did that. I think The Abyss did that. Star Trek, uh, the motion picture, did that with the sure. future. That deep, deep bass note. Yeah, right? I think they... Inception, kind Inception, of. yeah, yeah. Close Encounters was the first movie to do that with the when they did that uh, melody and that uh, they responded back with that big, deep bass note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that that sort of, you know, deep sound that is that uh, vibrates in weird and strange ways that makes you feel strange, but also good, uh, in the words of Wesley Crusher. Hey, everybody, spoiler alert. I think the only reason that that's really scary is that you realize that that player is stuck on that planet. It is absolutely screwed because they have no power and can't get off of it with that ship above them. Yeah, so that is, has all the bits and pieces of a great horror movie sort of thing. Oh, let's go to this abandoned cabin in the woods or on an airless moon. Oh, and this hallway looks like it hasn't been occupied for a million years. I'm sure there's nothing could possibly go wrong here. Wait, is anyone watching the ships outside? Dun, dun, dun. And then the, the, the Thargoid ship comes over. The engine won't start. The battery's dead. So we're hosed as humanity, pretty much. The Thargoids are here. So the other thing that came out of the uh, uh, live streams today was that uh, the PS4 um, version of Elite Dangerous has been officially announced and demoed. Um, I watched the live stream. It seemed pretty smooth. They did have one crash. The, the gameplay modes were fine. The audio was smooth. The video looked great. So I, it looks like it's been a pretty smooth port so far. They just have to you know, finish the QA and, and the bug smashing to get that ready. They say fall of this year, I think, is the target date for that. So we'll be looking for that on uh, on PS4 there. PC Master Race. PC Master Race, obviously. You just, you just don't care. Well, that's fine. So I think the, uh, the other thing that was interesting that came out of the live stream is that uh, uh, David Braben, they, had a, they, they embedded a 15-minute interview with him. That was uh, kind of a great overview of his design philosophy of the game and, and where he sees the game going. But I also wanted to highlight for our listeners who may not have seen this, there was a Radio New Zealand interview with Braben recently that kind of started with the Trappist-1 system uh, with the exoplanets that you might remember us covering with Dr. Hurt from, from Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He went into some, some detail about how the Stellar Forge system works, their galaxy generator, the one that simulates the Milky Way, and it, it absolutely blew my mind. It's uh, about 32 minutes long. He goes into a lot of detail about the history of the original Elite and how that informed his decisions on the uh, subsequent uh, sequels to the original Elite, and then how it kind of culminated in this sort of galaxy simulator that they put together that predicted with reasonable accuracy the location and composition of a real-life, honest-to-God star system um, that had never been observed before. So kind of mind-blowing. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Highly recommend you listen to that interview. It's really outstanding. The one thing i got to uh, ask out of that is, could there be more? Yes. You know, this is what is less than uh, 0.0009% of our galaxy has been cursory explored it, it, it's just mind-boggling well you know another quick spoiler i'll give you a piece of the interview that he was that he said he he's been doing this sort of modeling this procedural generation since the first elite and in one of the subsequent versions of it his background simulation sort of populated the galaxy with a lot of binary systems with planets in stable orbits and he thought that was weird because the astrophysical models at the time were like, mm, that just can't happen because the way thing, the way gravity works would would uh, basically discourage planetary formation. Well, that's not what his uh, not what his computer models said. Well, lo and behold, we're actually now that we're finding exoplanets, that's what's out there. They're finding exoplanets in stable orbits around binary systems. And David Braben feels kind of vindicated about that because they're just modeling actual observations and there's no pie-in-the-sky theories getting in the way about how things should work. Um, it's just, you just they're giving the computer observational data and letting it spit out what they think the solution is. So one of the things he pointed out was that his version of the TRAPPIST system, uh, the, the Stellar Forge version, had a um, binary planet. It's like Earth and Moon. It's two, two celestial bodies basically circling a common point. And he thinks that there's a lot of those out there that current scientific thinking doesn't account for. But when you talk to NASA scientists, they said, well, we would have to point a telescope at 
a sun for a really long time to be able to tease that signal out of the noise. So he says, well, maybe with the next generation of telescopes, we'll find that there's a lot more of those double planets out there than what's currently predicted. So really great interview, really goes into the science of, of, of astrophysics and gets into the guts of how they generated uh, those amazing backdrops that we fly around, uh, fly our ships around in and Elite Dangerous. Our Elite Dangerous community question this week is, tell us about anything you like, but mostly how shocked you are that the Thargoids most likely didn't come in peace. Drop us a line through all the usual channels. Full details coming up in the feedback loop. No Man's Sky released Update 1.2, which they're calling the Pathfinder Update. Coming as no surprise to those who have been paying attention, ground vehicles are now an option for the game. However, something that wasn't anticipated from the leak a while back was that there is actually three types of ground vehicles. In addition to the anticipated buggy, there's also a hovercraft and a large cargo vehicle. Acquiring a vehicle requires hiring a Viking technician for your base and then completing a short mission chain. The vehicles are also capable of mounting mining lasers and offensive weapons. In addition to the ground vehicles, these spaceships are getting overhauled. The ships will now have distinct classes that relate to the roles of the craft. Each vehicle is either a fighter, hauler, explorer, which means better warp engine capability, or shuttle, which is an all-rounder. The ships will also have quality ratings of C, B, A, and S. No Man's Sky isn't limiting players to one profession, however. It is now possible to own more than one ship and switch between them for different tasks. A similar type and quality system has also been implemented for personal weapons. Owning and purchasing items in the game has received some tweaking as well. Related to the new ship ownership system, it's now possible to trade in older ships for credit, something many players will appreciate since acquiring money for a new ship is often a grind. There's also a new currency in the game, Nanite Clusters. This currency is used for purchasing blueprints for segments to construct bases. Blueprints are another thing acquiring quality ratings, and buying high-quality blueprints will only be possible if the player has a positive reputation with the race of the merchants selling them. These merchants will appear on bases and space stations. Along with these gameplay mechanics, some new ship weapons, base modules, and graphic updates have been included. There are more social abilities, including sharing one's base for other players to explore and using the ground vehicles on the planet to create a time trial race that other players can attempt to beat. Despite the sharing aspects, however, there is still no support for encountering other players while playing. So this is actually turning into a different game now. I don't, this, this sounds like a completely different game than the one I played at launch. Well, all I can say is nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> well, I, I, I think there's something to see here now. And that's this is what I'm saying is that I mean, what, what do we have in this update now? We have they, in the previous update, they had a base, right? So a, a place to store stuff. That's that's great. But now we've got ground vehicles. We've got a currency system. And blueprints? Well, yeah, th things to buy with currency. Is anybody seeing Eve here? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's like they're taking all the bits and pieces of every other game that they should have kind of done in the first place, and they're now just now putting it No, I mean, in. when you say that, I, I, I don't think Eve. I think more Ark. I think everything here is about getting parity with modern survival games. Modern, you know, survival crafting games like Ark and... Uh, Conan and Rust and um, the other ones in the space market now, like Hellion. I mean, all these games have these same tropes, uh, including the base building, etc. And it sounds like one of the, the main selling points from all these games and the way they drive interaction and play going forward is the complexity that they layer on top of the game. You know, the deeper the tech tree, the more things you can do, the longer people can spend time trying to figure these things out and craft all these things. And uh, that's what it sounds like um, No Man's Sky is going for. I mean, there was always kind of a survival game, kind of an explorer game, and now they're they're pushing more and more and more down this survival track and executing on every one of those mechanics and tropes. Yeah. Here's the one thing that's missing and continues to be missing and was probably not a part of the original design brief. Sharing. You know, this, it's never going to be a shared experience. And I think that's probably its fatal flaw. I mean, even, even in Hellion, eventually you're going to run into other people and they may try to kill you. Right. That's a kind of sharing. Well, yeah, pretty much all these other survival games work on a closed server mechanic where there's people set up servers, they have their own universe, they can reset whenever they want or apply or not apply patches, whereas No Man's Sky is everybody's in the same universe. But you can't ever yeah. see them. Well, I thought you could now. 
No, I mean, it, well, it, well, whoever wrote the copy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's the next stage, I think, right? I think it's all really being set up to make it more multiplayer. And it would be interesting to see well, how they go forward with... Because um, none of this stuff makes any sense if it's not multiplayer in the end. For, for me, it's just like they tried to make something so new and different and unique. And then it turns out that what set it apart was not enough to make it a full game. And they're just sort of now playing catch up. Right. To me, it's a new game, but it's the way it's it's a new game in the sense that this is what it should have been when it was new. I, I think I'll probably download the patch and see what it's been, and 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 to, to kind of judge it based on. Uh, geez, if they would have had an extra year, this is what it would have come mm-hmm. down to. But I, it's it seems to me at this point that it is a new game, but it's this is what it should have been when it was first released, and then it could have maybe stood tall uh, against those other type of survival games that you were talking about. And then it's procedural generation, and every red plant kicks out the same version of, of mineral or whatever would have been seen as a design choice and a mechanic instead of laziness and trying to get the thing published and out the door. So you know, it might have changed some perceptions on some design choices that they made early on. And this week's No Man's Sky community question. Have you stuck with No Man's Sky? Have these improvements made it enjoyable, or did the launch failure sour your opinion for all time? We'll tell you how to send us a message after we've done feedback. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Around the Verse this week also featured an in-depth look at the process of developing Star Citizen's personal weapons from framework to finish weapon. Everspace has released patch 0.4, featuring a multitude of updates including alternative ship loadouts and new consumables. This week is a Saber free fly in Star Citizen, so log in if you've ever wanted to check that ship out. The Elite Dangerous Tabletop RPG is back. Crowdfunding is now over and it was successfully funded. Take that, IP trolls. <laughs> in the Star Citizen Happy Hour, Steve Bender revealed that he is working on hand-to-hand combat, blocking, and special takedown moves. Well, I, I backed uh, uh, the Elite Dangerous Tabletop in the in the final hours. I was very happy to see that that uh, IP challenge basically came to nothing. Uh, and and good news, this is I'm I'm going to wear this as a badge forever. I was backer number one three three seven. That's so elite. That's, That's so right. Elite. Uh. I'm I'm elite. I'm the elite backer of the elite uh, RPG tabletop. So I was impressed with the preview material they put out, but I, I was a little fuzzy on exactly if I'd be able to get a, it's a group together to play this. So I didn't I didn't end up backing. I may end up buying it after it's released, though. Brian, there's a thing called the internet. Yeah. And over this magical tool. You can combine your interests with those of uh, other people and play these sorts of things on the internet. I don't believe you. It's true. It's true. We'll we'll talk about it after the show. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendly. So let's just be friendly. Some say he's learning to make scotch eggs, and that wet hands make smooth round bowls. But all he knows he's called the shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Recap of last week's community questions. For Star Citizen, do you agree with the dev's stance on control schemas? Did any of the other answers from the town hall encourage or enrage you? Has the extra information made the hurricane more attractive to you? How excited are you about the character creator? For Elite Dangerous... Have you run into the aliens in new and exciting ways? Have you done other things in the beta? Tell us, because most of us haven't been in there. Are you impressed by Limit Theory's progress? Did you, in fact, think it was dead and are happy to see it return? Sean Newboy writes in, Yay, Sean. Love the episode. Yes, I can live with him. Not really very excited. Dillick Firehawk writes in and says, Excellent show. About the different control schemes, old argument really, mouse and joystick are two different controllers for fundamentally different functions. In CIG, trying to balance them, something is going to give or compromise. No trackballs, Tony. I just want them to fix those damned pips. They've been really screwed since 2.6. 
The town hall was nice. As an avid consumer of CIG information, there was little new on it. As for the hurricane, no, the ship is not for me. I'll repair a lot of them in my crucible, that's for sure. I recently played with the character editor in Elite's beta, and the next day, CIG shows the work Trilateral is doing with the scanned data. Coincidence? I think not. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And by the way, I've been a longtime listener. I finally decided to become a Patreon last week. Have a wonderful week. Well, thank you, Dilek. And uh, since you're in the elite, uh, shoot us an email or a message with your commander handle, and we will get you invited to the uh, private guard frequency group. And I will say, I do play with a trackball, so in Star Citizen, so I think that's. Club trackball, FTW. Amontillado writes in and says, Character customization is one of the bedrocks of role-playing and a primary method of self-expression in online gaming. I am very excited about the possibilities in Star Citizen with character creation. I am tempered by the knowledge that we will be limited to a single skeleton per sex. I am hopeful, but not expectant, that eventually we might get some variation in body type slash character skeleton. P.S. The interview last week was fantastic. Well done. We've talked about this body thing when they first or uh, first announced it, what, several episodes ago, I think uh, a while back, when they were talking about the, the reason they're keeping the, the, the body, the skeleton, the same size or, or approximately the same size is because they didn't want to adjust their cockpit. You know, I've got, I've got a power, I've got a memory power seat in my car. I get in, it knows it's me, and it adjusts to my body. That goes back to, to Star Citizen's whole thing with not buzzing things, right? Because even if, even if they changed, they allowed you to become short and tall, and you move the the, the cockpit up and down, the the panels would technically be a little different for you either way, right? Because you'll have a different head shape and a different eye spacing and things like that, right? This is the 30th century. Movable, adjustable panels. But it's not. It's not. It's the 21st century, and they made design choices three years ago, which required nearly uniform arm lengths and butt oh widths and head positions. I mean, it's it's a design choice that was baked in when they decided that character anim- animations had to be as close to the real thing as possible. Everybody had to be able to grab the joystick and the throttle, work the switches. It, it, it's it's baked into the design at this point. It, there's no change. In it. Yeah, I mean, the the big the big problem here for Star Citizen isn't necessarily that you are a different size. The problem is is that you're a different size and other people can see you operating everything and doing everything, yeah. right? Which means that you have to adjust all these random things that you wouldn't normally have to adjust in a space game. Speaking of design choices, uh, you do get a little more flexibility in Elite's character creator. They do have some stature differences that you can play with a little bit. But, but I, I, bet, um, I bet every button press in Elite isn't viewable from outside the character, though. Yeah, they're they're a lot more flexible as far as animations and and that kind of stuff. It's just not it's not nearly as baked into the to the you know the immersion experience. They're gonna they, they cheat a little bit more. So and again, it's it's a design choice. This is something that they're putting into the game at a later stage. You know, the, we talked about earlier they released a a functional but pretty shallow initial release and they've been building on top of it having hands on stick and throttle as animations in the game is not a core component of anything it's just not that important so they're willing to fudge on that ken from chicago writes in and says my bicycle is lighter than a corvette but isn't nearly as fast because the ladder has more power but ladders not as maneuverable for once ostron is right and jeff is not quite as right. Winky face. Also, hashtag City of Heroes lets you add caves. Arson Cross writes in and says, was worried we'd drop Elite and other games like a Dusty Bolero as soon as Star Citizen was released. This is where we suggest otherwise. Guard Frequency is a multi-platform uh, space sim podcasting. News, journalism, yeah, whatever. Thing. Get pick. Yeah. yeah. All that. All that. And chips on the side. Yeah. Yep. Plus a small and- fountain drink. Faux Shizzle writes in and says, I think there's a misunderstanding about the control issue. People are asking about the issue between Star Citizen rewarding gimbaled zero-order controls versus non-gimbaled controls, which emphasize flight abilities more than FPS twitch skills. CIG misinterpreted this as a mouse v. joystick debate. Whether someone is using a mouse or joystick is irrelevant in the end. It's that the current gimbal issue removes controller agnosticism and really gives an advantage to high-end joysticks and mouse controls. It's a subtle difference in argument, but it's far more relevant for high-skilled dogfighting meta. So 
before we go any further, yes, faux shizzle, I agree with you. It's not going to do anything for the same reason that turrets are, are baked in and your skeleton stature is baked in. The mode's here to stay. Find a way to enjoy it, to exploit it, right. to live with it, to embrace it, to love it, to cherish it, to to whatever. Marco writes in and says, Greetings from Germany. I enjoy listening to your great show since fall of 2015. Thank you for discussing all the space-centered games in an interesting manner that keeps me curious in the genre. You're putting much work into it, and that makes your show a great companion for my way to work and back home. It's interesting and informing, entertaining, and funny. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Great yes, thank you. Wow, that's like, that's well, that's the that's that's the, like that's the high praise, most, man. That's really that high it really is. Thank you very much. And our new patrons this week are no one, but you can always become one. So. Go to the website. Yes. Become a Patreon. And you'll uh, you'll be just in time for patch 2.0 of Guard Frequency. Um, I just sent the final approval off to the manufacturer. There were some some issues about contrast, you know, some color balancing that needed to be done, but I think we've got a great finished product now. Uh, as soon as I've got the final proof in my hot little hands, I will be putting that up on the website for everyone to review, and uh, we'll tell you uh, how do you can get your very own Guard Frequency 2.0 patch. Man, this week's community questions. Does the introduction of a rudimentary commodities market have you excited? Do you agree with the devs' approach to fixing problems the hurricane has highlighted? For Elite Dangerous, tell us about anything you like, but mostly how shocked you are that the Thargoids most likely did not come in peace. And how about your opinion on the multi-crew system? Have you stuck with No Man's Sky? Have those improvements made it enjoyable? Or did the launch failure sour your opinion for all time? You've heard our thoughts, so we want to hear yours. Drop us an email, a tweet, or a comment on our show post, which you'll find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So how was the show? Was the view wide and expansive and in third person, or do we really need to restrict it to a first-person, immersion-ready view? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 159 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 160 on March 21st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, then you should come over and join us at 10 p.m. Central where we record Guard Frequency Live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on that Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five a week, you can get access to the raw recordings of our live shows and some guard frequency goodings and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous Fright Group. Hoorah! We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we can get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look over at the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series, the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust.
Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned. Still can't. How many times have I done this? The, well, the, no, not even the super hornet. The quote unquote gunner on that ship. Crap, I hit my mic. To be fair, this isn't completely a hand wavy. I was like, what the f***? <laughs> so any or all of the ones they mentioned could be left out of the final input. People get bored of us. I really do think so. I mean, we drone on, you know, I have kind of a nasally voice. People get tired of it. It's like irritating. It hurts I, I can say that I, I actually listen to this podcast, even with the ones I'm on, and I never get bored of hearing my own self talk. So I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I, I'm saying people. Yeah. People yeah. get tired of hearing us talk. I love the sound of my own voice, except when it's echoing through Jeff's speakers uh, on TeamSpeak. That's that's when I don't love the sound of my own yeah. voice because hey, it's on a slight delay. Yeah. That's and- your fault, not mine. I, 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 my setup is solid. You come in and, and start echoing through the, uh, you know. Oh, right. Just all my that's fault. Right. Okay, sure. I'm sorry. Oh, come on. I'm sorry. Oh, they just put the wrong image in my head. It's not Halloween yet. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. One sec. Oh. My God. It's like this this podcast is run by 12-year-olds. Isn't there, Tony? Damn it, Tony! Didn't we establish a fine for that uh, early on in like episode five or something? Yeah, it's like a ten percent pay cut or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, man. So you, that's you like, got it. man. Yeah, you're done. Your pay is docked ten percent. <laughs> Damn. Right there. Yeah, <clears throat> that's gonna sting. They murder all big and small babies in their sleep. Right there, there, done. There we go. There we go. There we fixed it. Love yep. the game. No, I don't love the game we're building. That's really bad. I don't like that. Jesus Christ. It's like, seems it's really like extreme. Vandal Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's 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 uh, it's Genghis Hitler Vanduul. I mean, you know, we're just 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 roll Mussolini. Throw Mussolini in there too. We'll just roll them all up. We'll roll them all up together and uh, and and put it in there. But what did I say wrong? I said ladder. Yeah, you kind of you kind of tripped over the has more power though. Oh, all right, it's just f-ing feedback. Wow! <laughs> not not wow. to the little Ken from Chicago. These are our really, listeners, really man. These ever? are our loyal Ken from Chicago is going to come and kick your ass. <laughs> there's going to be a Chicago versus I Texas Ken, rumble. Dude, I can I love Ken from be Chicago. A, there's going to be a rumble. He has lots of good feedback, and he and he, he's mentioned man. me on Twitter. He's great, but. I mean, it says cuz with a C-U-Z. I mean, tripping over a word right or two, I don't Texas. think is the worst crime here. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were talking about. I think Noonien Singh uh, uh, left on the Botany Bay and uh, came to Star Citizen Universe, and that's why we're all the same stature. Oh, geez, we're back to that again. Back to Space Van Duel Hitler. Back to space, yeah. Vandal Hitler. Yeah, it's, it's Messer yeah, was right. a much worse emperor than we thought. Anyway, <clears throat> faux shizzle 